Open House, a property podcast focusing on the Geelong market, brought to you by Ricky Fort from Geelong Real Estate Co. If you're looking to buy or sell your home, contact Ricky Fort at Geelong Real Estate Co. Ricky joins us on every episode this season. G'day, Ricky. Hi, guys. Yeah, very special guest today. I'm, uh, I'm wrapped to have Bryce Holdaway, co-host of Location, 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 co-host uh, on Escape from the City on the ABC, co-host of my favourite podcast, The Property Couch, uh, partner in Empower Wealth. Have I missed anything there, Bryce? You're a proud resident of the Surf Coast as well. Well, that's, that's the most important one, mate. I am a proud resident of the Surf Coast, but uh, thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having me on. And you're a buyer's agent by trade. Is that fair? Mate, I'm a, I'm a degree qualified accountant, so um, uh, which I, I realized I was using my, contra, uh, using my personality as contraception. So I changed over to property back in uh, 1998. And, um, and then I started a little property business over in my hometown in Perth back then. And then um, I moved to Queensland and um, yeah, have since been a buyer's agent and, and a bunch of other things um, in, in the meantime. I could talk to you all day about property and finance, but this is a Geelong show. So let's focus on Geelong and, and you and your family live on the surf coast. When did you make the move regional? Yeah, we're pre-COVID. So um, I, I, I like to tell that bit because everyone's moving now post-COVID, but uh, it was it was a bit different back then to do a pre-COVID. But it was back in uh, Easter of 2019. And um, uh, quite often people say to me, how did you convince your wife to, to move to the surf coast? And I'm like, well... Let me, let me tell you a story. Um, uh, she needed to convince me. And um, now, now I'm embarrassed to tell that story because I just love it here. I wouldn't, I, I, there is just nowhere else I would rather be. Um, with the exception of maybe uh, a bit of Queensland weather, I think it's, it's, um, it's pretty close to paradise here. So, um, but, but the backstory from that is um, I'm a Perth boy. I moved to Queensland in 2002. My wife moved, um, who, who was not my wife at the time, moved to um, Queensland in 2004. And we spent a couple of years getting to know each other up on the Gold Coast. Um, and then we moved um, back to Melbourne. That's her hometown. And um, we often joke about we got it around the wrong way. We probably should have done Melbourne when we were dating and getting to know <laughs> each other with all the culture that's on offer. And then with kids, we should have gone to Queensland. So that was kind of part of the narrative. And then um, she, she said to me, what do you think about the idea of moving to, to Torquay? And I'm like, are you crazy? We're, like Our plan is to head back north where there's warm weather and the ocean doesn't freeze you every time you jump in. Why would I consider Torquay? And she's like, well, you seem to be, um, you know, the business seems to be keeping you in Victoria. I can't see us moving to Queensland anytime soon. So that's the backstory. I then say, I can't see us moving to Torquay. I now move here. And um, yeah, and I look back and go, why did it take me so long to get here? Yeah. <laughs> Yep, I'm a Melbourne boy as well and been living in Geelong for about four and a half years and love it down here. It's obviously a great lifestyle location for owner-occupiers, but does it tick the fundamentals from an investment perspective? Look, I think it does, but I think it, it, it took a brave person to do it uh, pre-COVID because the commuter belt um, is has now stretched, I think, all the way down the Great Ocean Road, probably to, to Lawn, I reckon. Um, comfortably, um, some would argue warnable, but um, the commuter belt has now stretched. But when I moved here, the commuter belt was kind of Geelong. Um, and then as as you both know, coming down to talks is an extra 20 minutes commute. So it's an extra 40 minutes for the day. Um, so I, I, it, it, at the time I was thinking, mm, that might just be a little stretch for the mainstream pop. Now I I look back, obviously in the rear vision mirror and say that was a bad call because um Torquay and the surrounds have gone nuts, as as has you would have seen heaps in um, Geelong too, Ricky. But uh, um, it's now it's now at a price point where the yield isn't that great unless you are prepared to do a more high maintenance approach of um, doing short term stay, um, where the yield can be quite phenomenal. Um, but it's not a it's not a passive investment. So I think it does in a lot of cases tick the investment box if you stay um, close to the main drivers of what makes the surf coast so great but there's a there's there's a whole bunch of subdivisions going on between um geelong and torquay which um are great for first home buyers but i, I would caution a few people to to consider that as an investment uh greater geelong often gets bundled into regional victoria data how do you kind of define geelong well, i'd be interested in in your answer to that ricky because you you live and breathe geelong but um 
I just reckon Geelong is an outer suburb of Melbourne, to be honest. I think um, in in COVID, I think everyone who lived in Geelong was really fortunate to be uh, regional Victoria. Um, but I think that's a stretch if you think about people who they were living in um, Sorrento or just any, anywhere down on the Mornington Peninsula. They were greater Melbourne and yet people in Geelong weren't. So I think it served everyone well in uh, the COVID times to be um, uh, regional. But I, I don't see uh, Geelong being regional. I see it as an outer suburb of Melbourne. I also see Ballarat and to a certain extent Bendigo being outer suburbs of Melbourne because I would commute into uh, my office for our businesses in North Melbourne and I would commute in on a air-conditioned train with a beautifully comfortable seat with a, a nice little uh, table in front of me that I could put my laptop on, you know, um, for the same time as it was one of my team who was driving in traffic from Box Hill. Um, so wh- wh- why would Geelong be any different to um, to Box Hill in terms of uh, a suburb, if you think about it from that terms? But clearly there's a big history of it being regional and it hasn't always been the case, but I... Uh, Ricky, I now see it as being just a an outer suburb of Geelong. What, what's your view? It's a good point. And what you say about the Mornington Peninsula, I think Geelong locals think the same about the Ballerine. Um, now, and the, and the Ballerine just being so close to, so we've obviously got, it's not quite as flash as Arthur's seat and um, everything on that side, but obviously we're very fortunate with Lura Park and everything down on the Ballerine side for us. Um, some great wineries and things down there. But um, yeah, I think you're right. I think... Um, that's been the draw card um, as a real estate agent that I've been speaking to the buyers for a long time. Um, just the commute, as you said, you could be, um, if you're not much further than Richmond, it's kind of the same commute as it is for, for, for guys in Geelong. So, yeah. But I, going back to what you said before about that corridor between Torquay, um, I think that's interesting that you've done that, that you are that, that extra 20 minutes out and you're kind of cautioning against that. I think I've been thinking that similarly for a while. So that, that was interesting to hear that. Um, we've spoken um, about uh, Greater Geelong being, this is Damien's point, that um, Greater Geelong being the third biggest growth point in Australia behind um, the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. Um, how sustainable is that escape from the city? Obviously, keen to get your thoughts because you've been up that way. Yeah, look, if you have a look at the um, the stats for, um, at the moment, we're fortress Australia, right? So no one can get in. Um, but at some point, we will look back and say um, COVID was a, um, a thing, even though we're still in the, in, in the eye of the storm now, right? So the borders will open and people will want to come here in droves. And the, the demand for property in this country in coastal strips will, will remain as strong as ever, largely driven by the fact that um, people in Australia value lifestyle over all things. And, and the, the, the amazing thing that the, the cities that you mentioned, but, in, but including Geelong, is they, they have coastal uh, opportunities for lifestyle. And so I don't ever see that ever being a problem. So the escape from the city where I see um, a challenge going forward is perhaps where people have really stretched the bounds of the commuter belt. And so um, I, I said Warrnambool before because Warrnambool is coastal and it's amazing and I love taking my family down there to, with our van to go camping. But when, when we return to some form of normality and businesses in Melbourne say, hey, listen, I'm happy to, um, you know, this is our own business. We're saying to our, our team, we're happy for you to adopt a, a hybrid model, but we do want you in the office sometimes. And I think um, uh, where you think the, the stretch for that commuter belt exists is is deeply personal but i used to i used to commute um pre-covid into north melbourne three times a week and and that was really starting to become a bit of a toll and i'm and so if i'm if i'm going from lawn or anglesey or warrnambool i i start to think that that might stretch very thin very very quickly for a lot of people so i think that the mortgage uh, the commuter belt has stretched to torquay i think it, it is very doable from here um, so therefore, I think Geelong is going to be the, the main beneficiary of that because Geelong used to be considered the outer stretch of commuter, whereas now everyone's going to do that in a blink. You know, it's only 50 minutes or depending on which part of the line you're on. Um, uh, that's super straightforward. So I don't think the escape from the city uh, uh, is, a, is, a, is a fad for Geelong. I think that it's here to stay. And I think that there's so many wonderful reasons why people want to be in Geelong. Um, but I do, I do worry um, about some of, because at the moment it's the last person to leave Melbourne, turn the lights out because we're all off to the regions. 
Um, but at some point, everyone's going to have to go, oh, geez, I made an emotional decision about this, this town um, um, that, I, that I don't think is going to serve me going forward. So long answer to your short question. I think Geelong is fine. I think it's here to stay. And I think that um, the demand for Geelong real estate will continue to be ever increasing. And I don't see, I don't see any let up in demand, um, even when the inevitable tide turns of the property market not rising all across the country as it is right now. I still think Geelong's got a, a, a huge number of um, attractors that mean that it will still have strong demand, which, which is good for you, Ricky, your business. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll take it, Damien, we're safe. You heard it here <laughs> first. A high-speed train would help as well. Yeah, that that if that kicks off, mate, it's a game changer. It, it, it would yep. just make um, prices in Geelong go berserk. Because if you think about it, you, you you get on the train, you get off at Geelong, and you can just go for a walk around uh, Ricky's Patch and just go into Geelong West or some of those beautiful areas that have these beautiful period homes, and you just melt. You got these tree-lined streets, and you think, "Wow, this is amazing." Then you get on the train, and then you go back, and then you go through a you change the demographic because all of a sudden the lifestyle driver isn't as strong as we head back to the city. So block size is a bit small, a bit more house and land style packaging. So then it changes and then it comes back up as you go through the city. It's kind of rare um, for that to happen where you go through, because it's typically as you go further and further away from the big smoke, then people hate commuting. It's usually um, an income um, decision while they're going further and further out. But then you, then you come back through and you come to this, this wonderful place that, um, um, as we've talked about, and you guys have talked about a lot on your podcast around all the drivers that exist in Geelong. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity. But I I used to think that um, entry level um, opportunities for Geelong were really great, but the price has moved to such a point that that's um, um, it's still it's still got a good price proposition compared to Melbourne, but um, it's certainly it's certainly no cheap and cheerful opportunity for people now because the prices have moved quite um, quite strongly. Yeah, and Geelong has really enjoyed sort of four years of capital growth. It hasn't just been COVID. Geelong was going well a couple of years before COVID, yeah. and that's only enhanced it. Should local homeowners and investors be expecting prices to plateau a bit? Uh, I think it will. I think the strongest part of price growth is done, um, but I don't think that price was, will stop growing. <laughs> so, you know, all, all the peak stuff. Um, uh, we've enjoyed over the last 18 months to two years, anyone who's owned real estate in this region um, has been phenomenal. But I, I I see, I hate blanket statements about real estate because if I say Geelong, am I, do I mean Geelong West or do I mean Belmont or do I mean Corio? So, so Geelong is a statement, but as a region, um, I think there's still um, reason to be optimistic about price growth in 2022. Um, but I just think the craziness of the last 18 months, I, I, don't, I don't continue to see those continual um, jumps, except for, except for probably some, some scarce period assets that, that you'd get um, in Ricky's listings where they're just little gems that um, everyone will just go berserk over and pay emotional prices for. I was going to ask you about period homes. I've been a student of the Property Catcher's Start and Build course. Um, and in those videos, you highlighted a case study between a $500,000 two-bedroom cottage in Geelong West and why it would make a better investment than a $500,000 four-bedroom house and land package in Armstrong Creek. Can you explain why? Yeah, you can see I did that course uh, a little while ago on those prices. But um, uh, yeah, good question. So um, my one of my wife's family has bought uh, a house a land package in Armstrong Creek, um, home builder, got some incentives and is in the process of building it now and has done remarkably well. Um, Six-figure equity creation. Um, so if people just say to me, well, why why wouldn't you consider that as an investment? I think, well, uh, that's great. But if, I, if given the same opportunity to buy with the same money closer in, I'd take that because of the simple fact of land value. And what you do is when you buy an older house, um, a larger percentage of the purchase price is going towards the land and a smaller percentage of the purchase price is going to the building. So the land to asset ratio. When you go out into these subdivisions, you're buying smaller blocks and a larger percentage of what you're paying is going towards the building um, and a smaller percentage of what you're paying is going towards the land. So it's for that reason that I would prefer to go in closer than, than further out. Notwithstanding the people in those subdivisions have made money, that is true, um, but the people in closer would have made more money um, given the same decision. 
So um, that that's why we went to lengths. And and the same thing is if someone was thinking of a uh, house and land package uh, further out in a new subdivision, let's not say Geelong, let's just say any other part of Melbourne where there was a there was a subdivision, or they could buy a two bedroom apartment in Paran or uh, Flemington in a small boutique block of 60, 70 style block. The same thing, we're paying a lot more of the purchase price for the land than we are um, further out if we're buying a house and land package. So it's kind of just breaking the myth that you, you just got to buy a house and newer is better. It's no, it's, 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 it's been the case for real estate forever and a day that most of the value comes from the land, not the building. Ricky, would you say it's easier to sell a period house than a house and land package? Do you get more people through the door and, I think the shock results that we, when we see a shock result on the weekend, it usually is that character home in a good suburb. I think you and I have got similar tastes, Damien, in real estate. So just from like an emotional perspective, like so obviously you've just done a beautiful renovation on a period property. I live in a 1912 um, property. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, location, location, location. It's the oldest, most basic saying, but um, I completely agree with Bryce too, though. Having said that, I've seen a lot of people make a lot of money um, in those those subdivision areas that I never thought would happen. So I'm clearly no expert, but um, yeah, when you talk about supply and demand and um, numbers to open for inspections, obviously you go out to um, a well-priced listing in Armstrong Creek, Mount Dunedin. Um, you know that four bed, two bath, three years old. KPIs for me and my business have always been kind of seven or eight people per open for inspection. The same well price listing in the city in a, in a period property you're seeing like 21 to 25 per open for inspection yeah i think that's i think that's the the key point that you've highlighted ricky it's, it comes around scarcity people will pay more money for scarcity and so in the in the newer subdivisions um i liken it to you know it's um i want to be really careful to be fully respectful of people who are buying in these locations because they, they are wonderful communities right so you've asked me the question from an investment perspective and i kind of think it's because because they usually are born like um it's like a it's almost like a property supermarket you you walk in one aisle and you pick some land and then you walk in another aisle and you pick a property and then you merge them together and quite often it's not until you later on you get in the property and you go oh wow, I didn't take advantage of that aspect or I should have really put the floor plan because it's so overwhelming to just get into the market and to settle on the land and have a mortgage for the first time and all those sorts of things. So it, it really comes down to, um, for me, it's that scarcity and um, in, in those inner suburbs where you get in those period homes, people will always pay more for scarcity than they will for um, stuff that's similar. Um, so one of the one of the bits of advice that I gave to my wife's family when they were choosing the land, it's obviously aspect, and then choosing the house is make sure the street appeal gives you an opportunity to differentiate yourself um, to everyone else in the same subdivision because at some point in time you may either want to rent it out or move on to your next one, and it will be give you that opportunity to to do what Ricky's just said to get more people through uh, through your open. And then, um, and then you get someone who's a skilled negotiator who then can can create that competitive tension. And then, obviously, um, uh, you guys know it better than me how to how to get a better price for for through that negotiation process. So, it all comes down to scarcity, and it all comes down to um, getting that scarcity to pay more money at some point down the track. I think, Damien, that's a surprise comment for me. I wasn't expecting that, but that's definitely food for thought for a buyer in terms of how to try and recreate that in one of those subdivisions like Leopold, Armstrong Creek, Mount Deneed, that's really good food for thought. I think people should rewind that and listen to that again. If your options are limited and, and that's the path you need to go down, as you, um, as you said, Bryce, it's often financial, the reasons people have to go down that path or choose to go down that path, sorry. Um, so, yeah, having the opportunity to try and recreate that, that's really, really great advice. I think the other thing, what well, was probably the, the positive about being classified as regional is if you are looking to buy a home, you're a first home buyer trying to get into the market, you get twice as many grants. Um, and as you said, there's some, uh, a lot of those buyers have actually seen growth over the, over the past, you know, two or three or four or five years. So they've actually, most of them have actually done well. And um, maybe it is that stepping stone to help them get in closer to, um, closer to inner Geelong. 
Agreed. And um, that, that was one of the deciding factors for my, my wife's family. You know, they were making a choice of going to a subdivision of um, Greater Melbourne. And then once they realised that the, uh, the grants on offer in uh, Greater Geelong were, uh, as you've described, that it became a no-brainer for them. So yeah. I, think, I think Geelong has just benefited from, um, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons for being called regional. But um, mm. I think we'd all agree that that's probably starting to... Um, stretch the definition of, of we'll take it we'll take well, it yeah, yeah that's right you're taking the short we'll take all the benefits that come with it um you <laughs> did say though bryce it is harder to find those entry-level properties under five hundred thousand dollars now would you look at suburbs like Corio and norlane which do have socio-economic challenges where investors still can still can get in at a lower price point or, or should we yeah, if you're invested with that sort of budget, should we be looking at the Bendigos and Ballarats instead and, and trying to get closer into town there? Uh, one, of, one of the ways that I decide on uh, what, whether we should buy a property is across four filters, right? So the first one is um, capital growth. What's its historical capital growth? One of the reasons I love uh, uh, established property is I can actually test that. I can go... It sold last week for this. It sold seven years ago for this. It sold 27 years ago for this. And I can actually work out what the growth's been. It's a fact. Um, I don't have to worry about any averages for the suburb. I don't have to worry about any averages for the street. I can just work out, has that property performed or not? And has there been a renovation done in the meantime to help with some of that growth? Or has it been standalone, done its own heavy lifting, right? So capital growth is one. Yield is the second one. That's super easy to, to work out. The third one is vacancy rate, just to make sure that we've got an opportunity to attract the right tenants. Geelong doesn't have a problem with that, right? Greater Geelong doesn't have a problem with that. The third one, sorry, the fourth one is quality of tenant. And that often becomes the umpire to determine whether or not we would um, we would proceed with a property that might even stack up on the other three. Because ultimately, as an investor, you have, uh, you're holding this property, hopefully for minimum 10 years, but hopefully for a long, long time. And the ongoing management of the property is important. And if you're getting quality of tenant issues, um, that's going to that's gonna stop the enjoyment of your investing process. Because if you've done it right, it should be set and forget only 10 hours a year that you need to invest in each investment property. So, so the answer is maybe, Damien. Um, if, if you can satisfy that last, um, that last one, if, you, if you're in the A streets, um, and there's no quality of tenant issues, maybe, um, because I think there's an opportunity. But if if you are going to get yourself into a situation with the B or the C streets, and you and you and you are getting yourself into some quality of tenant issues, I, I would suggest that there are opportunities that you could get elsewhere where you don't have that same same challenge. Yeah, price. So the- just a quick one about about vacancy rates. So for a first time investor, what are some of the ways that you go about finding that information? Uh, a little bit biased here because I've got a I've got a, a business called Location Score, so you can go to locationscore.com.au and you can check it out. But um, they're just going on and checking out um, uh, with a benchmark at around two and a half three percent vacancy rate um, is is okay. Anything above that, it's starting to get um, problematic. And in some of the in some of the areas that you list, uh, Ricky, um, that would be nowhere near that vacancy rate. But um, uh, I guess going online, seeing some um, some benchmarks around what that looks like to make sure that you understand what it is. But my best tip is if you're if you're thinking of buying in Hearn Hill or Manifold Heights or Belmont or or anything like that, I just I just go and ring a couple of property managers. That, that they're going to be pretty frank with you. Like with all due respect to to you, Ricky, your your job is to get the best outcome for your client, which is the seller. So if an investor comes to talk to you, your your you're biased to to give information that's in the favour of the seller, so I would say, well, just ring up a uh, a property manager around the corner from from you, Ricky, and just ask, is your I'm thinking of buying this property, what do you think? And that that property manager will inherit the property, and by nature, any problems or challenges that come with it, they'll go, no problem. That listing that Ricky's got will be a no brainer. We would rent it in a heartbeat. Versus oh, there is someone who's got a, um, an issue with a lab two doors down and it is a cut through street for, and, and that sort of intel will give you an enormous advantage on whether or not to buy because, um, you know, Ricky's doing his job for his client and that's getting the best outcome for them. But as an investor, you're trying to find as much independent information as you can to make an informed decision about whether you should buy it or not. That's amazing advice. Um, 
another quick one around being an agent at the moment, the, probably the most commonly asked question I'm getting, uh, people looking for stuff that can be potentially subdivided in the future. I feel like everyone's, you know, getting 0.1% in their term deposit and they're thinking, screw this, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, just subdivide, slap a few townies on the back. Everyone seems to think it's pretty easy and there's a, there seems to be a huge demand for you. I'm getting asked for it all the time. I often, and similar ties in with the grants, often people, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, spend under 600 and you get the stamp duty savings. So all the properties under 600K seem to be massively overinflated. Bringing that back to the land issue, anything that can be subdivided, like often they're very, very, very competitive and they often go above potentially what it's worth. Have you got any advice around that? Do you think it's as important as what people make it out to be? Yeah, I call it turning apples into apple pie. You know, you buy a bag of apples, sell them individually. They won't get as much as if you just go home, put some effort in and turn it into an apple pie and sell it by the slice. But it, it's, it's, it's something I would say um, that's not for the faint-hearted. And um, you, you've probably got more to, to chime in than me on this, Ricky. But the, 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 if you go to a weekend seminar or you read a book and it says buy a property and subdivide it, what it doesn't throw into the mix is, you've got, first of all, you've got to find the right property. And then you've got to make sure that there's no um, covenants or any reasons to suggest that you won't actually be able to make the site feasible. And then if you've in, engaged um, a town planner that says it actually works, then you've got to deal with what you've just said, competition, because not only are mum and dad investors having a go, but if it's just two townhouses, it's becoming comfortable for a lot of people. So the 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 first time property developers will have a swing, the experienced property developers will have a swing, and then there'll be a bunch of people who actually think, no, I just want to buy the house because I want to live in it because I want a big block. So you're putting yourself in a very, very competitive market to get it. And then as you say, you get it and you pay too much for it. And then you go and you, you get the feasibilities done. And all of a sudden, uh, to put the two townhouses on, you're Building in for another- up 20%. Yeah, up 20%. You're in for a million and a half on the debt plus- you can't get anyone to build right now. All the, the building supplies uh, materials are so expensive. And then all of a sudden you're holding this debt and you think, wow, I've got to, I've got to sell it. Um, and then if you, if you sell it, I'm of the view that most of the profit comes from holding it long-term. Um, if you, uh, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but there's, if, if you buy a property, 60% of the growth that you get is in the, from year 20 to year 30, 60% of the wow. performance over 30 years happened. So holding real estate is all about staying in for the long game and getting the benefits. So if you're just going to be the person who's flipping it, um, you've got to hope it's going to make a profit. You're going to hope that, that, that there's demand for it. You've got to hope that you can actually secure it. And then once and then once you've um, put it on the market and you've got a, an agent taking their component and then you get the tax man taking their component, you sort of think, was that really worth it? So I would probably suggest that you hold it as a land banking option, as a genuine um, uh, long-term buy and hold, because in maybe in year ten to twenty, the the growth in the property makes it so super worthwhile that you can develop it. So, um, but it really comes down to if you if you have an appetite for it. But my biggest caution to anyone is do not underestimate the active involvement that you will need to have, and if you don't have any experience on it. You are dancing with the devil because um, there are some enormous holding costs to do this. And um, uh, 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 oh, yeah, did that answer the question? I think I think I, there's I, definitely I, there's definitely opportunity, right? Um, I think yeah, I think there's so many people running around with such a baseline understanding, like oh, you need 300 square meters, and this site's 600 square meters. Like I'm gonna or it's a corner block, so I'm gonna go. Like as I said, it just feels like everyone's. Um, so many people have got that analysis paralysis where they're looking for that that perfect property that they think that they can subdivide that chances are they're never going to do that. No. So they're spending every Saturday looking for a needle in a haystack that they're probably never going to use. And in the meantime, they're letting that two-bed brick on 480 square metres go with like, it's really well maintained. It's got a really good tenant. As you said, it's in an A-grade street. That's one of the most frustrating things for me. So I'd love for people to tune in and listen to this sort of advice. Yeah, no, it's um, and and some. Do you know when? Do you know when we're at the um, you know when we're at the royal sh in Perth, we used to call it the royal show. We'd go there and we'd sit on the side and I'd look at all these animals and I'd just see cows in the middle of the in the middle of the, the oval. But if I was sitting next to the farmer, he would look at the same cow and would see so much different to me. And we're both looking at the same thing. And I think when it comes to subdivision and development, I think 
you need to get to that level where you can see stuff that that is is just innate because of your experience level not not sort of going well um do i need this what sort of size do i need what is corner block that's better you know what can i actually put on here because somebody does this for a living might go yeah most people can only see two townhouses here but i can see three and the reason i can see three is because of my experience and no one else sees it and therefore i can pay a little bit more for it because if i divide this site by three rather than two i'll make more profit and it's those sorts of things that come with time and experience that make a difference and um, I think I think your advice is 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 sage there, Ricky. That I reckon a lot of people are enthusiastic amateurs and they'll get burnt. Ricky Fort, Geelong Real Estate Co. sponsors this podcast. Ricky, we had a few questions on Instagram. Hopefully, Bryce is happy to uh, uh, answer some <coughs> listener questions. Bit of Q and A day, Bryce. Yeah, Q and A day. I love it, as you know, Damien. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my Joel, favorites. Joel Lawrence of uh, Instagram. What are the best suburbs into Geelong to keep an eye out on capital growth? Um, oh, can I answer this by um, saying, uh, and, and you'll know this, Damien, that we teach people how to fish rather than give them a fish, right? So there's, there's three things that I think you should look out for. Human interest, human behavior, and economic activity. So if you're, so if you're overlaying a suburb, um, first of all, human interest means when I'm not working, what can I do in the suburb that is of appeal? Right. So if I'm in Geelong West, there's amazing cafes, there's parks, I can walk into town. So there's so much stuff that I can do um, when I'm not working. So the human interest is really strong there. Then we go human behavior, which is effectively the status test. What, what will people think about me if, if they pull up in the street and go, wow, look at Ricky's place, look at Damien's place, look at these beautiful period homes, right? So it would pass the status test of, versus um you know in a in a another area where it might have a negative stigma that's a positive stigma we have the negative stigma it's the other way around so human interest human behavior what do people want to do when they want to go in the suburb and the last thing is economic activity geelong doesn't have a problem with this because it's it, it has a manufacturing past but it's just a outer suburb of melbourne so you can get into into and in a COVID world it's just a laptop and an internet connection. So it satisfies those three things. So I would say when you're looking at suburbs within um, Geelong, overlay those three things. How does it go on the human interest test? How does it go on the human behavior test? How does it go on the access to economic activity? And then generally speaking, if you then over, once you've found a suburb you like, you overlay the other four um, layers that I said around capital growth, yield, uh, vacancy rate, and quality of tenant. Those two, those two frameworks alone will generally ensure that you'll um, that you'll do pretty well. But Greater Geelong, I think, is is a pretty good bet for for a lot of people if they're considering buying in that area. Some gold right there, Damien. Write all that down. Thank you. Um, Chris Bryson, this is a good one. Is vendor finance still a thing? I haven't heard of this for a while. Yeah. Um, in in uh, well, I'd ask you if you've ever accepted, uh, seen a deal with vendor finance, Ricky, because I'd be interested. But I've been doing it since first deal done in 1998 in Perth in a suburb called Bentley, where I helped an investor buy a three-bedroom, three-bathroom unit uh, for $161,000, right? And here we are now, what's that, 22 or three years later. Um, I've never been involved in a vendor finance deal in that time. Um, I've seen lots of people sell courses and um, get hyped up about it. If you go to a, you know, to the to the Ritz on a on a Tuesday night at seven thirty with guys with fancy suits on, um, spruiking lots of fancy ways you can do real estate. I've seen it talked about a lot, but I've never ever been involved in a transaction. Um, so have you, Ricky? I have not. No. So vendor financing is typically something where you might find it in a in a friendly transaction where someone might be struggling to get a deposit. And they, um, uncle, cousin, auntie uh, might kick in the 20% deposit and charge an interest rate to allow that to happen, keep some money in the deal. Um, it might be in a close transaction where that happens. But as a, as a general arm's length commercial transaction, I've never seen it in 20 plus years. Yeah. Question from Dave Gladman. Thoughts on the property and Geelong property market over the next one, two or three years? Very bullish. I'm, I'm, I, I don't see um, the demand for Geelong when you, if we go human interest, human behavior, economic activity, 
overlay that on Geelong, drive down the road 20 minutes, come into my backyard and go for a swim. Um, there's world-class fishing um, around here. There's arts, there's, there's um, culture, there's amazing precincts in Geelong. I, I, I don't, I don't have anything but um, uh, optimism about uh, um, Geelong real estate as a, as a place for people to buy. I have the view, right, that when you should buy your next investment property is basically uh, when cash flow allows. So if you, if you were wanting to buy real estate, I would buy in Geelong now if your job is secure and your cash flow allows. I wouldn't be worried about what, what's it going to be in two years' time, what's it going to be in three years' time. Because as I said to you, the, the major part of the growth comes the longer you hold it. So, so, so the time is, the, is going to do the heavy lifting here. So if you, if you buy a wonderful asset in Geelong, don't worry about ups and downs. Just, just if cash flow allows and your job is secure, just buy an asset here and hold it for the long term. Amazing advice. What do you think of that, Damien? You know, I couldn't agree more. I think so many people are just obsessed with you know, that same time in the market or timing the market or whatever. People are just... And it happened when coronavirus first came... Um, I remember the start of 2019, there was auctions and, you know, there's economists saying the market's going to drop 30% and in Geelong we had 22% growth. Like, um, yeah, I, I just think that's The thing great. about economists is they've predicted 27 of the last two recessions. <laughs> Let that one land. Uh, should I go invest, in, um, invest interest only on my investment property? Um, probably is the answer. Uh, probably now there is a price discrepancy between um, P and I and interest only. Um, so for some people that price um, is uh, an arbitrage they don't want to pay. But generally speaking, on investment properties, I'd go interest only because you can um, clearly get 100% tax deductible from from the interest. So talk to your accountant, but generally yes. And um, I have interest only on my own principal place of residence and have done for many, many years. So that's a bit of an outside of the box one because I have a an offset account that sits against my principal place of residence. I park all of my money in there. Every single cent that I have is in a offset account against my most expensive debt, which for most people is their principal place of residence. And I do it interest only, which will blow the mind of a lot of people who have been brought up and conditioned to pay principal and interest. But the reason is really simple. I get in control of my cash. Very cash well. flow is king. I have more buffers. Genius. I have liquidity. And if I put my money into an offset account against my home, it's kind of the same as doing principal and interest anyway, um, but I get much more flexibility. So, so the answer to the question is most of the time, yes, interest only. Is, is the appetite still there from the banks, Bryce, when your interest only period ends? Is it... It more is it more difficult now to renegotiate a, a new interest only period? Yeah, but that's when you'd want to have an investment savvy mortgage broker as part of your team because they would just they would just um, shop the bank to make sure that you can um, reload. Um, so yeah, no, that's not an issue. Beautiful. We got um, any- last one. Was it? Uh, do we see Geelong becoming a CBD? A sorry, a high rise city um, in the CBD? Obviously. Nearly every second um, time we pick up the Geelong Addy, someone's complaining about, you know, a planning permit that's been approved. There's one just next door to my shop in Gordon Avenue that's going to be, uh, I think, eight storeys or and they were applying for 13 or something like that. What's your, what's your view on the heights of Geelong City? Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not close enough to the culture of the people in Geelong to, to um, understand the emotional part of this, um, this. So I'll give you a pragmatic answer. And then some of the some of the nimbyism that might come, you know, not in my backyard, um, might come to the fore based on the culture of the Geelong people. But I think it's inevitable, and the reason is because all you need to do is have a look at the projections of population coming into just Victoria, and then um, I think that the high rise in Melbourne is is going to be way more than it is now, and I think you'll find that it'll go further out into the suburbs as well. And so I think it's inevitable that it'll happen for Geelong. And I think some of the studies in Geelong suggest that tourists and, and people after dark don't venture into, into the city. They generally stay down by the wharfront and all the surrounding um, places. So I see, um, I see um, not Gold Coast style high rise. I think that would be a shame. But I think if you get sort of medium um, density high rise in Geelong, I think it could add value to the culture of the city because what that would mean is if you've got a bunch of people who live 
seven streets back, nine streets back, 10 streets back from, from the waterfront. They're, they're in interacting throughout the whole city, which will then create a thriving culture for more little laneways and more little uh, restaurants and therefore create the traffic that then will just improve the vibrancy of the city. So I think it's inevitable. I think it would have some benefits for the city, but I also am aware that um, some people who love the fabric of um, Geelong as it is would be resistant to it. But I, I do think it's inevitable, Ricky. I've got a long question here, Bryce, from Kylie, who's uh, looks like she's an experienced investor. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you don't want to give personal advice on this, on this show, but Kylie asks, um, she's managed to do very well for herself um, as a single female, circa 47, uh, pretty much down to taking uh, risks, two houses, two apartments, loan balance of 785000 against the value of $2.63 million, and she's now in the top uh, tax bracket. She's always had the attitude of pay debt off first and only after the last three months listening to the property couch, she's realised that she could have used debt as her friend. Mm. She's now uh, got a PPR of about uh, worth 900000 with only 50000 owing mm. um, and her partner earns about 110000 They have no kids, no credit, da- uh, credit card debt or loans because clearly they're, um, they don't like debt. How do we best avoid paying the tax man? I bet you've had this question a few times, Bryce. Should we buy a new house to have depreciation? Uh, She's got a house um, in Ocean Grove um, in Colandina, um, one street back. Ricky, this goes back to your question. Should she knock it down and build two houses? Should she build her forever home? What should she do, Bryce? Wow. There's a bit in that. Um, (laughs) There is a bit in that. First of all, congratulations. Big charge per hour, Bryce. Yeah. <laughs> we, got, we got this lady's counting base bed. Yeah. Um, the, so, so first of all, let's congratulate her for a, a phenomenal um, uh, uh, achievement to get to that position, right? So whether they should do townhouses and the, the principal place of residence, there, there is just not enough information for us to answer that question. But um, what I, the way I would answer that question is just to, to reframe your listeners to um, – there's debt is not just, there's not just one type of debt. There's actually three types of debt. There's horrible debt, tolerable debt, and productive debt. And um, the horrible debt is what, where we use debt to buy anything that goes down in value. So anything we buy, consumer, cars, credit cards, all that sort of stuff, that's horrible. We should avoid that at all costs. Tolerable debt is the debt that we have on our own home. Um, the reason it's tolerable is because, well, it's serving us a purpose. You know, it's shelter. And it allows us to provide security and comfort for our family. But we're the only ones slogging away on our own. No one's helping us. Um, so that's why it's tolerable. And then there's productive debt where you're buying income-producing assets. So the comment about whether or not, you know, listening to the property couch that they should have considered more debt, um, that's that's possible, right? Because um, we, we uh, you know, I've, I've written a book, um, The Armchair Guide to Property Investing, How to Retire in $2,000 a Week. So people come into our business and surprisingly, Damien, they say, can you show us how to retire on $2,000 a week? And we say, sure, no problem. And typically what that looks like is buying your own home um, and buying somewhere between three to five investment properties, depending on your age, your risk profile, and how long you've got to retirement. And the idea is that we we retire out the debt on the principal place of residence first. In our, in our, um, in our plan or our model, it's to, it's to build up a bucket of cash, i.e. an offset account, to the equal value of the debt, not paying it down. And then once that's done, you then go and look to the, mo- the next most expensive debt in the portfolio and do exactly the same, fill up the bucket until ultimately you get to retirement. And if you've executed well, you will actually be able to um, uh, have three to five investment properties fully paid off, providing you with an income over and above the cost of um, servicing the mortgage that funds your lifestyle. And you've paid off your home. You have no loans left because you paid off your home. You paid off your car. The kids have generally left home and you're just really funding a lifestyle, which becomes really great. So that is the general principle that I would say. Embrace productive debt, um, smash out tolerable debt as quickly as you can and avoid horrible debt as fast and as quickly as you possibly can. So it sounds like um, that particular listener has got um, some wonderful opportunities ahead of them. And I think the, um, uh, the choices are as a result of some really good decisions they made in the past. 
I should have added, she ideally wants to run away to Bright and live off passive income for five years when all the houses are paid off um, <laughs> on 80K rental, not including PPR. I think that's that's it. She's Her goal's reachable now, right? I think so. And the 80K um, is less than 2,000 a week because clearly 2,000 a week is 104, right? But the interesting thing is if, if, if um, people often go, wow, I'm on 120 now. So when I retire, I need to be on 150 or more because I want to do more things. And what, what, what we're going to remember is there's four, there's four categories of expenditure, right? There's, there's general discretionary spend, living and lifestyle. Then there's our bills and payments. Then there's our loan payments. And then there's, if we're investing, there's our investment costs. So those, those four categories. Well, by the time you retire, the loan payments are gone, as I said before, no, no mortgage, no cars, no credit cards, all this sort of stuff. And if you set up the portfolio well, your, um, your, your portfolio should be self-funding. It's not costing you any money out of your own pocket and providing you with the passive income. So the important thing then is to understand if I know my discretionary spend and I know my bills and payments, what that is now, if, say that's $63,000 now or $57,000 now, that is essentially your passive income goal. Because you can maintain exactly the same lifestyle if you got 57000 in that example without having to go to work, having this passive income coming into the portfolio to, to um, perform that, and everything else is self-funding. And then you might say, well, in retirement, if I don't have to go to work, I don't have to spend any money on lunches and clothes and everything, I might have a little bit more to spend, but I still want to go on a few more holidays. Well, that's fine. 57 becomes 65 or 70. But at least it gives you the benchmark of what you're actually chasing um, which is different to what you're earning now because what you're earning now is irrelevant. It's what does your lifestyle cost you, lifestyle by design that you're chasing, and then you, you, you build out a plan that allows you to get that, and it becomes very, very straightforward to do. So that listener is in a wonderful position. I think they're on track to get that 80000 Last question from me, Bryce. You've been very generous with your time. You've spoken about how great Geelong is to live, how great it is to invest. Should I just keep buying investment properties in this area or should I be borderless? Um, you know, we, we know Geelong well. There are listeners out here that are listening to Geelong. You can get a variety of different properties, but is that the right attitude to take? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I believe um, it, there's the diversification argument. You need to spread your, your eggs, right? I, I'm clearly strongly invested personally in residential property so in my own portfolio and i encourage people to do the same but i also believe that we can get diversification within the asset class so i could have a property in geelong i could have a property in melbourne i could have a property in brisbane i can have a property in perth so the idea of of those three to five properties that we talked about before having five in geelong might expose you to a little bit of cyclical risk because um, whilst i said i think you should continue to buy in geelong forever um there will be there will be um, little deviations along the way. Um, some of some of the post pandemic um, gains, I reckon, across the country, we're going to give them back. Some of them, um, and but if I'm holding it for long enough, that doesn't matter. But if I'm if I'm in short term mode, or if I have all my portfolio in Geelong, and say it gave back a little bit, and I'm trying to refinance at that point in time, and the bank does a vow, and those properties have come back, you might not be able to refinance to get it. So that's why I like a little bit of borderless too. Um, I'm, I've got borderless property, you know, I've, I've purchased borderless as well. So I do like the idea of doing that. But if someone, if someone is in Geelong and they haven't invested before and they're thinking of investing for the first time, I don't think it's a bad thing to do your first one in Geelong. It's around the corner. It gives you that comfort. Lots of people have, you know, a bit of fear that comes from getting a little bit extra debt. The, the biggest fear any investor has is, will I actually get a tenant? You know, just... Just the and and people love the idea of being able to drive past it, and then I go to them two years later. How many times you've actually driven past the property? Oh, I haven't got time to drive past that property. But the decision to actually buy it was done because they could drive past it. Um, so the first one, I think it's not a bad idea to consider um, buying Geelong because I think it's a great opportunity. Um, but then maybe consider buying borderless and going to we as a company we're buying in um, uh, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, uh, Gold Coast. Uh, Newcastle, Sydney, Melbourne, Geelong, Adelaide, Perth. So um, we, we, we practice what we preach. We're putting clients um, across borders when their portfolio um, uh, suggests that that's, that's what they should uh, do. Damien, how do we point our listeners in this man's direction? 
Uh, the Property Couch. I listen via iTunes. There's probably Spotify and uh, the, obviously the website, but um, iTunes at the Property Couch. I think you've done close to 400 uh, podcasts, Bryce. It was um, I actually searched Paul Clitheroe on iTunes and found episode 200. That was the first one I listened to, and then I've I've nearly binged them all. I think Bryce. So uh, it is a uh, it is a, a terrific podcast. I really enjoy it. So um, appreciate your time, Bryce. Just quick market update, Ricky. You've got houses this weekend. I popped out to a few auctions um, on the weekend. Interestingly, um, you might find this interesting, Bryce. One auction I went to, coffee van out the front, free coffee. Went around the corner to the next auction and they were selling a coffee machine with the house. So I thought that was uh, some of the interesting tactics that you guys come up with, Ricky. Damien, you love that story. Um, so I think uh, we spoke just before we started um, on air that most of the listings, I think we said this last week, but most of the listings have come on. Having said that, we've just put you know three or four more on this week. But I think now... Um, Everyone's probably earned a, earned a break and I think the market will probably really start to fire up um, early Jan, maybe second or third week. I think there'll be a big influx of, um, of property coming to market. So a great time to be a buyer. Hey, Ricky, do you think that um, the traditional uh, January period where a lot of agents tend to um, uh, want to take a breath, um, how, how do you see this January, given that um, COVID caused a lot of people to take a breath in the middle of the year? Um, do, you, do you see the activity in, in your particular region being different than, than traditional Januaries or do you think people will still oh, take that? Sellers. Uh, sellers. I think there'll be more sellers than ever come to the market. Yeah. I've, yeah, from the conversations that we're having, I'm, I normally do about 20 to 30 appraisals a month and of that, you know, 50% come to market or whatever and that's obviously just me and then there's all the different agents. But everything that I'm speaking to is starting to, work on the house over the summer break, get the tradies in, people are getting contracts prepared. So, yeah, I think we'll be in for an absolutely massive spring, as spring, January. So I think if you are a buyer, be, be patient. Don't um, lose hope. But I've always, I've um, never really been away much over Christmas and stuff in the last few years. And I've always found that it's a really good time to clear old stock. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that, guys. But I think um, everything that hasn't sold for whatever reasons passed in an auction or whatever, um, those people who are desperate to buy still in 2021. There's a bit of a clearance of the leftover stuff, but yeah, come January, it'll it'll that's explode, I think. So, and you're a small business uh, owner, mate. You don't get to go on holidays anyway. No such thing. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me on, gents. Thanks, Bryce. Uh, Ricky Fort. This is a show sponsored by Geelong Real Estate Co. If you're looking to buy or sell your next home, contact Ricky Fort at Geelong Real Estate Co. Thanks for your time today, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Open House. We've got more coming your way. Give us a follow on Instagram at Open House Podcast and on Facebook. And please remember, all advice is general in nature. If you are looking to purchase a home or sell a home, please seek professional advice.